Scott did not mention that he was going to go on a vacation and Tom was going to go on vacation two weeks after being here. So they both walked out and they're like, see ya, we're, we're gone. We'll, don't call if, if you need anything. So um, it is a joy. And I will tell you, if you're a guest with us this morning, thank you for being here. If uh, you don't like the message today, come back next week. Scott is going to be preaching and it will be way better, I promise you. So uh, make sure that you uh, come back next week and, and hear the church. It is, uh, it is a joy to be here in this place, and I know uh, first service I mentioned this, and so to you I'll say the same thing. Uh, we have, may have met a dozen times, but when you come by and, and greet me, uh, I've, I've turned 50 this last year, and uh, so at 50 I guess the memory starts going. And so you can come introduce yourself to me for the first time, and I'll pretend every time that we meet, it's the first time that we've met. Just introduce yourself to me and tell me your name, and I will slowly get them, but uh, I'm looking forward to and have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know the people of the church here. Um, it, is, it is just a wonderful thing to see what God is doing in this place. Um, just hearing, I've known Scott for about 10 years and have watched uh, the church grow from Lutheran High North and the uh, setting up and tearing down every single week. And some of you who started coming to the church within the last couple of years, you didn't have, you weren't able to be part of that. And uh, some of you may be grateful that you weren't part of that. But uh, it was a it was a wonderful thing just seeing God do something uh, with a with a vision that somebody had for. Uh, reaching the people here in this area and serving the people. And Scott and Karen have done a great job and grateful that they were able to get away and uh, get some rest uh, this last week. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue on in the, in the series, not in the passages that we have been in in the past. So we're going to be talking about going from good to great. We're not going to be in Joshua. We're going to be in the New Testament in the book of Acts. But we're going to be talking this morning about whether we are successful or whether we are significant. And sometimes we don't know when the successful and when the significant meet. We don't know that that was a significant moment until after the moment has gone by. If we knew something was significant going into it, we would prepare, we'd be ready for it, we'd be open to receiving everything that is going on. But oftentimes we just don't know that that's happening. For example, if you look at the person beside you this morning, it may be your spouse. It may be the one you're engaged to. It may be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And, and uh, you may be thinking that the moment that we met was a significant moment in our, in our lives. I know for my relationship with my wife, the first time that we met uh, was not a significant moment for me. It was for her, though. Anytime you meet me, it's significant. But no, she she was in she was in high school and I was in college and I was friends with her brother and uh, I was just coming up to see them and he was he was dating a young lady and we we were going out and I was just there to hang out with them and he told her he said I'm going to go out with a college guy tonight and she's like yes so uh, she was going out with a college guy and I showed up and wondering why his little sister was here and. Uh, the second time, though, uh, they were his brother. Her brother was getting uh, was setting me up with a young lady at his birthday party, and uh, so I knew I was going to meet this young lady. And when I got there, I didn't see that young lady, and so all night she was waiting for me to go talk to her. But instead, I saw this this beautiful 
college girl now that had blonde, straight blonde hair down past her waist, and I could not take my eyes off her. And uh, so I spent the entire evening getting to know her, and uh, that was a significant moment in our relationship, and as a result, my two favorite kids are here this morning, and um, the other one can't be here, so it's not that he's not my favorite. They're all my favorite. Just ask him. Um, They, uh, but that God used that moment, but you don't realize that that, I didn't realize that that was a significant moment until after that moment was gone, and I can look back on it now, and, and I can pinpoint that moment in time that I can say that was a significant moment. Oftentimes in life, we have things that happen to us. Um, when I came here, one of the first weeks I was here, uh, a man by the name of Danny came up to me. You all have met him, I'm sure. And he had a flyer in his hand. And that flyer, he's like, want to go to a fishing tournament? And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know who you are. And uh, you're inviting me. It, it didn't matter. He will invite anybody to a fishing tournament. And I said to him, I'm like, well, let me tell you this. I'm not a fisherman. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, let me explain. A few years ago, uh, when my son Ben was probably seven or eight, my neighbor was a fisherman. And the reason I knew he was a fisherman is because he had a boat that had a cabin underneath. And so he didn't just have this little tiny boat. He had a big boat. And he would pull it into his driveway in the spring. He'd clean it off. And I knew he knew what he was doing because it had all these uh, holders for fishing poles all the way around the boat. And I'm like, That guy knows what he's doing. And so I just went up and I asked him one day, I'm like, hey, would you mind taking my son and I fishing? Now, uh, I had just bought Ben his first fishing pole. It was a Spider-Man fishing pole. And so I knew he would be able to catch something with his Spider-Man fishing pole. And uh, so I told my neighbor, I'm like, you know, Ben, he has his Spider-Man fishing pole and I'm going to get me one. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you have no idea what you're talking about, do you? I said, well, I don't No. And um, so he said, don't worry about it. He said, you just show up. I will have everything for you. In my mind, I had no idea what that meant. But he said, I'll have everything so I could trust him. He was a fisherman. He had a boat. So I'm going to go with him. So he took us out to Lake Erie. He said, you ever uh, fished for perch? And I'm like, no, I've had perch sandwiches. I, you know, I like perch. He said, we're going to go perch fishing. So he got out his rod. He said, now, hang on just a second. And he got out this... I've only ever seen a fishing pole with one hook. He had a fishing pole with like 75 hooks. And I'm like, what is that? He said, well, I've got a catch fish that we can catch fish with. That doesn't make any sense to me. So he threw this out and all of a sudden he's reeling it in and it's got all these little fish on it. He said, these are the bait fish that we're going to use. If you're a fisherman in here this morning, I apologize if I use the wrong terms. I just go with me. So he, he, he pulled in all these bait uh, fish, and he was taking them off the hooks, and he was th- now hooking them on the fishing poles that my son and I had. He said, I'm going to fish on this side of the boat. You guys stay over on that side of the boat and keep your hooks away from me. Can do. So he would, he would do everything for us. He'd pull in the bait fish, he'd hook it on our hook, and he would throw it over to the side that we were standing on, and we would cast it in, and we'd pull it back with no fish, even the bait fish on it. It was gone. And he's like, you've got to feel it. I'm like, Okay, I'm not feeling anything. So we kept doing that, and, and my son caught a fish. Of course he did. He's seven. I'm, you know, dad, I can't catch anything. So my son reels in his fish, and as he pulls it in, the guy, he goes, here, let me take it off for you. And so he reached up, and he grabbed the fish, took it off. He grabbed a bait fish, put it on, and he threw the hook away. 
And as he did, he goes, ah! And I looked at him, and the hook was now stuck in his thumb. So I began reeling in my line. I'm like, we're going to the hospital. Of course we're going to the hospital. If that was me, we'd be going to the hospital. He goes, hang on. Like, I don't know what he's going to do. But he reached over and he grabbed his toolbox. Then he opened his toolbox, and in his toolbox, he grabbed a pair of pliers. And I'm like, what are you going to do with those pliers? He decided to, you guys are lucky. You're in the second service. First service didn't get these details. The, uh, he, he just, I'll spare you the details. He, he used those pliers, and he worked that hook out of his thumb. I am not a fisherman. He then takes his hand, bleeding, thumb. I'm like, I, we ought to be going to the hospital, tetanus shots, amputation, whatever needs to happen. He then takes his thumb, bleeding, and he reaches over the boat and he sticks his bleeding hand in Lake Erie. Number two, I'm not a fisherman. I'm not sticking anything bleeding or open wounded in Lake Erie. He then pulls his hand back up, reaches for duct tape, wraps duct tape around his thumb, and he's like, all right, we're good to go. I'm like, are you sure? Because we can go in. I don't, I don't mind. Like, my thumb is hurting right now. I can't even move my right hand. He's like, no, no, it's fine. So I'm like, okay, if you want to do that, we're good to go. He said, yeah, let's keep fishing. We're out here. Note to self, I am not a fisherman. I enjoy fishing, but I'm not a fisherman. But it wasn't until after those moments passed that I realized the significance of the moment. In life, we do the same thing. In life, we have these moments that come by that we don't realize they are significant, but they change our thoughts, they change how we think, and they help us to move from success to significance. If you have your handout today, there's a couple of things on here that I'd like you to follow along with me. Number one, success is the achieving of the results wanted or hoped for. We all have a desire and a hope to be successful. I don't think anybody trains their kids and sits, down, sits them down and goes, all right, son, my hope for you is that you are mediocre. I want you to be just average. Don't aim high. Keep it low. Uh, then you'll never be disappointed. No, we, we always encourage our kids to aim high, to be successful. Those are the hopes and the dreams that we put in them. But do we teach our kids or do we talk to each other, our spouses at work, uh, our employees, our employer, do we talk about being significant? And notice the difference between successful and significant. Significance is having a great effect or influence. Significance is not about me and what I hope for. Significance is about what I can do for somebody else. We are called to be significant and not just successful. If you take your Bibles and you look at Acts chapter number 8 with me this morning, Acts chapter number 8, we're going to read a passage here and we're going to talk about two men. One is Stephen. Stephen is going to be, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death. Stephen was a... In, in our terminology, he would be a deacon or an elder in a church. He was someone that the apostles, they were being, by the church, they were being pulled in all of these directions. And the apostles said, we need somebody or we need some people that will step in and walk alongside of us to 
to, as the Bible says, to serve tables. They were the ones that went to the widows, and the widows were coming to the apostles saying, hey, we really need some help, and they would send a deacon to that house. And Philip and Stephen were those men, two of the seven men that were chosen to do that. The other man, the first man is Stephen that we'll, we'll address. The second one is Philip. Philip is a man that was just like you and me, just an average guy that decided to serve God and say yes to God whenever God called him. And, and we will see that Stephen then moved from being successful in life to being significant in how he lived. So in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse number 1, if you'll follow along with me, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. His execution is speaking of Stephen. So Stephen in chapter 7 is stoned to death. Saul was standing there approving of that execution. In verse number uh, one, again, keeping on here. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so we see here that there is great persecution going on amongst the church in Jerusalem. As a result, in verse number four, it's now, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who, who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Number one on your paper is success often comes when we least expect it. Success often comes when we least expect it. You hear stories of people who walked into, a, in, into their life that they thought was just going to be a normal life, and all of a sudden they find that they have stepped into something that was successful. They'd been doing something all of their life, and then they make a switch, and all of a sudden they become successful in that. And Philip steps into this moment not realizing that it was going to be as successful as it actually was. Persecution came to the church in Jerusalem. Men and women were being thrown into prison. Christians were being, were being persecuted, stoned, as we saw even Stephen being stoned. And Philip steps out and he goes to a city in Samaria. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, Jesus said to his disciples, you will go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the world and preach the gospel. Philip now is doing exactly what Jesus had commanded, and he went down to the city of Samaria. Now, the best way that I could explain to you what Samaritans were to the Jews is talking about Michigan versus Ohio State. Are you with me? Unless you're an Ohio State fan, uh, <clears throat> which probably aren't here. Uh, Michigan versus Ohio State. Like, that, that feeling that is there... Now, we don't actually want to see harm. Maybe I don't actually want to see harm come to those people. And people often say, you lived in Ohio? I said, yes. I was a missionary to the heathen for several years and realized the heathen could not be converted, and so I came home. Um, this, the Jews hated the Samarians. 
The Samaritans had their own religion. They had their own temples, their own places that they worshipped. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. It was a mutual relationship. And so for Philip to go from being persecuted to now going and preaching the Christ to the people that he hates and hates him was a significant moment in their life. Philip did not realize it, though. And as we see, if you look at uh, verse number uh, 5, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And then in verse number 8, it says, so there was much joy in that city. All of these things were happening. Life had just taken a turn for this city in Samaria. They had now heard about the Christ who was going to change their life. As we were singing this morning, I can't help but be overwhelmed as we sing these songs about who Jesus is, about what he has done in my life. I was a, I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in church. I grew up crawling underneath pews in churches. I grew up playing hide-and-seek in the baptistry. I, I, I did all of these things. But there was a moment that I had to realize that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and he changed my life. This morning, that is the greatest message that anybody can give. And when you receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, you have great joy. Why are we happy today? Why are we rejoicing today? Why do we sing these songs with great joy over what God has done in our hearts and in our lives? Because of what Jesus did for us. He gave himself to die on the cross and pay the penalty so we don't have to be separated from God for eternity. And that brings joy to people. You talk about a world as we look out and we see the world that we live in. And and it is amazing. If If you will pay attention to the conversations of people around you. I was sitting in a coffee shop this week. And I was just listening to some of the conversations. I'm a, I'm a people person. And so if, if I could find a job that would pay me to sit in the airport and watch people, I would do that for a living. It would be, no, I'd probably, if they'd pay me to live at Disney and watch people, I would do that for a living. It would, it would be a, it, it is just fun for me just to watch people. But I heard Couple after couple, friend group after friend group talk about the turmoil and difficulties and problems that they're facing in the world in which they're living. My daughter and I were talking last night. We were talking about how the fear that parents have when they sit, send their kids off to school. As a kid, I don't remember that. I don't remember my parents having to worry about, is there going to be a shooting? Is there going to be a bomb threat? But today the world is so in turmoil, they're looking for something, somebody. They don't realize that it is Jesus Christ that will bring them hope and give them joy and happiness. But if you're a believer this morning, you have that. You have the joy inside of you that you can share with somebody that is hurting and discouraged and wondering how they're going to make it today. You can share with them the truth that there is joy in our Savior. And that's what Philip found. Philip went to the people in that city of Samaria and he shared with them the truth that would set them free. 
And as a result of that, there was great joy in that city. Number two on your paper, it is often when we are most successful that God calls us to do something significant. It is often when we are most successful that God calls us to do something significant. Philip, if you look at this, at this passage with me, he was preaching a great revival. He began to preach the Christ and the city changed. We've heard this week in the last couple of weeks about the revival that's going on on college campuses starting at Asbury University. And we sit back and we listen and we hear all that God is doing. And somebody put on, on social media the, the message that was preached. It was the, the, the catalyst for all of this. And you sit there and you listen to that message and you would have, I thought that this guy's going to be dynamic and he's going to be a personality that you're just going to be drawn into. And as you listen to his message, it was not anything that you would sit back and you'd go, man, that was great. You listen to that and you thought, really? That's what God used? And then you hear the story that after that sermon Chapel was dismissed. There was one young man that did not leave. And he came to the altar and he began confessing his sin. He began getting right with God. And people noticed that he didn't leave. And so somebody else stayed. And somebody else stayed. And somebody started calling their friends and saying, hey, you shouldn't have left. It's still going on. Revival fires began to break out amongst that group of students. And I want to challenge you younger people today. Too many times in life we think that eventually I'll become successful. And when I get successful, that's when I can make an impact. I want to tell you this morning that if you are 19, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, you're that college age, you can make a huge impact, not only in the world around you, but in this church. All it takes is for some young people to get a heart for God. Young people to get a desire to get right with God and to see God do something for, through them. That yes, you can be a successful college student. You can be a successful son or a successful daughter. You can be a successful parent. You can be a successful employer or employee. But if you are willing to say, God, I am willing to move from success to significance. God can step into your life and he can begin moving through you. A movement that will impact the world around you. And that's what we've seen these last couple of weeks is we've seen God move through the college students of our, of our universities and moving on to Cedarville and other universities that the revival fires are, are standing there. And what I'm afraid is I looked at myself the last couple of weeks and I said, are you stepping in? Are you being part, wanting to be part of it? Or are you simply happy being an observer of what is going on? Because I don't want to mess up my successful life to step into something that I don't know what God is doing. I cling to that which I find successful rather than step out into what I think might be significant. And I just want to challenge you this morning as we're going to see with Philip is success came to his life, but he was willing to follow God as God called him to something that was significant. Philip now had a decision. In verse number 26, 
It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. I want you to picture in your mind, like this was a huge, successful revival. A city was changed. You ever been in something that was, that was hugely successful? Maybe your business, maybe your, your life, you're just in a point where you're like, man, this is, this is going great. Life is amazing right now. And then you hear God call you to do something different. And that's where Philip was. Philip was preaching the gospel. Lives were being changed. As we saw here, demons were being cast out of people. I don't know about you, but I don't want to confront a demon. I thought my kids had them at times. But I don't want to confront a demon. But Philip was not afraid of anything because he knew the power of God was pushing through him and he was able to confront them and casting out demons. And I promise you this, if some Sunday morning a demonic person comes up and Pastor Scott's up here and casts the demon out of that person, you will not forget that. And guess what? You'll show up the next week going, I hope something like that happens again. I can't wait. You'll be early. These front rows will be filled. Why? Because you can't wait to see what God's going to do. And Philip was in Samaria preaching a revival, and people were coming and showing up, and lives were being changed, and people were telling their friends and saying, hey, you've got to come. And this huge revival was going on, and then God said to Philip, hey, I want you to get up, and I want you to go to a road in the desert. What, what am I going to do with the road, God? Don't worry about that. Just go to the road in the desert. But, but what's there? God, do you not see the revival that's happening here in this place? I know. Do you think it's you? Do you think the revival can't continue on because of me? You think it's you? Philip, I just need you to go down to the desert road and stand there. Okay. Philip goes to his friends and says to his friends, hey guys, I know this revival is going really good. I know we're seeing lives change and I just want to tell you guys that I need you to go and continue on. I got to go someplace else. Are you going to a bigger city, Philip? Are you going to, a, is there a bigger revival that God's calling you to? No, no, God's actually calling me to go stand by the road that goes down to the desert. What, what are you going to do there, Philip? Stand there? Who's, who's coming by? I have no idea. But I want you to see that Philip had a decision. Was he supposed to stay in what he thought was successful or step out into a desert place? And in life, we find ourselves at these positions where we have achieved what we thought was success. We have the jobs that we wanted. We have the house that we want. We're driving the car that we want. We're wearing the clothes we want. We're going on the vacation we want. We have the kids that we want. And we're like, I'm good. And God says to us, I'm asking you to step out into a desert place. And that reminds me of a story that you see in Matthew chapter number 14. In verse 28 and 29, it says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, 
and walked on the water. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, the disciples were in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. A storm came. These were fishermen, not people who liked to fish. These were fishermen. They weren't afraid of storms. They weren't afraid of the water. But they were out in the middle of this storm, and they became fearful. And to make matters worse, Jesus came walking to them in the water. Now, you all may not be afraid of the dark. But if I'm at home by myself, and I'm sitting in the living room, and something out of the corner of my eye, I catch something moving, I am turning every light on the house on. Like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to see it just in case. Like, I'm going to, I put my shoes on, I'm ready to go. I unlock the doors. I'm, maybe I shouldn't unlock the doors. I unlock the door. I am ready. The disciples are in the boat. They see somebody walking to them on the water. And Peter, Peter says, who are you? And it answers back. Now, if I see something moving in my house, and I say, who are you? And it answers back, I am not waiting around. Peter says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. And Peter says, if you're Jesus, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, do you think it's about you? Come on. And what does Peter do? All right, I'm out. And Peter begins walking on the water, doing what none of you have ever done. Peter may have only gotten three or four steps before he started to get afraid of what he was seeing. But he reached his hand out and Jesus grabbed him. And Peter, unlike us, can say, I stepped out of the boat to walk where Jesus called me to walk. And this morning, I'm afraid that we stay in our boats. Our boats are safe. Our boats are nice. Sure, there may be storms going on around us. You know, you, the old phrase, it's not the storm that's outside of you, it's the storm that's inside. Don't look, there can be water outside the boat, just don't let water inside the boat. But if I'm in a boat in a storm, I'm good. I can trust, I think, in that boat. But Jesus is calling us to step out into the desert place so that he can do something significant with you. Philip decided that obedience to God today was worth the risk. God, you're calling me to go to the desert place. I see this great revival that's happening. I see what you are doing, but you're calling me to go over here. I don't understand what's over here. I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. But God, I am just going to go and I'm going to stand in the desert place. And notice that God pointed out that it is a desert place. You ever been in the desert? Pastor Scott was just there. He's like, it's so pretty. There's nothing alive there. It's all dead. The rocks. It wasn't Disney World. The desert isn't where we want to be. We want to be thriving in, in life. We want, we want to be in the revival, not in the desert. But God called him to the desert. And notice, Philip traded the known for the unknown. In Acts chapter 8, verse 27, he arose and went 
And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. In verse number 26, it says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go. And in verse 27, it says, And he rose and went. Don't you wish you'd get your kids to act like that? Hey, could you go do? And they're gone. No, it's more like, hey, could you go? Hey. Hey. Kid. If I knew your name, I'd say it right now, but you, that one. Sometimes my wife, you know, when we're when she's talking, we're talking together, she'll be like, did you just hear what I said? I'm like, yes. But if you could say it one more time, I'll get all the details. Just one more time. You know what I'm talking about? Philip did not hesitate. God said, arise and go. Philip rose and went. You see, God was preparing a soul. This Ethiopian, God had been drawing his heart. And notice this verse said that he was headed to Jerusalem. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. But when the Ethiopian got to Jerusalem, he found religion. He didn't find Christ. He didn't find a relationship. He simply found a religion. Because when the Ethiopian, the Bible tells us that he was a eunuch, when the Ethiopian would have gotten to Jerusalem where the temple was, they would not have allowed him into the temple. But he was so seeking after God that he bought a scroll of Isaiah while he was in Jerusalem. And he was riding on his way back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, reading the book of Isaiah. And scripture tells us that he was in Isaiah chapter 53. And he could not understand what that scripture was saying. But God was working in his heart to draw him to him. And do you realize that there are people in your life that God is working in their hearts to draw them to him? And God is going to use you to be the catalyst to show them the Christ. He's not, they're not looking for religion. They're looking for somebody to have a relationship with. And God's going to use you to draw them if we, like Philip, commit to do what God has called us to do. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This Ethiopian was looking for God. And God said, I will show you. Because God was preparing a servant. In Acts chapter 29 and verse, uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, it says, and, Philip, and the Spirit said unto Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. When I read things like this in Scripture, my mind goes into animation. We read this and we're like, Oh, Philip was in the desert, chariot goes by, and he's like, Hey, Chariot stops. No, that's not what the scripture said. Philip's standing there going, God, ain't nobody here. What are you doing? And all of a sudden, there's a chariot with an entourage. 
This is like the president coming to town. This was not one guy in a little chariot with a little donkey trotting along. This is a full-on entourage. And God said to Philip, hey, Philip, you see that chariot that's moving down the road over there? Yeah? Go run alongside of him. What? Now, could you imagine you pull out of the parking lot this morning, and on the sidewalk you see a guy running alongside of you. You look at him, he looks at you, hey, hey we don't roll down windows anymore, do we? But you can't, that doesn't mean anything to anybody. So you roll down the window, and you're like, what's up? Lord told me to run alongside of you because you might have some questions. Well, I actually do. This Ethiopian, he was reading in, in Isaiah, and he did not understand, who is this talking about? And Philip was able to explain to him who Jesus was. And that Ethiopian said, what stops me from being saved and baptized today? In that water right there? He's, Philip's like, yes. Do you believe? Yes, let's get baptized. And he got saved. The last thing that I have for you this morning is, this last point is, are you willing to burn the ships? Are you willing to burn the ships? You say, what does this have to do with anything? In 1519, there was a man by the name of Hernan Cortez. He was a conqueror. Now today, we don't like conquerors. That's not a popular term. But in 1519, you could be a baker, you could be a bookkeeper, you could be a conqueror. And so Hernan, is, you know, as a young man, thought, I'm going to be a conqueror. And he was a tremendous conqueror for his nation. There was one thing that he saw that he wanted, and it was a treasure that was held by the same group of people for over 600 years. The biggest treasure in the world, and everybody knew where it was, but nobody could get it. Conqueror after conqueror tried to get the treasure, but they could never do it. So Hernan Cortez, he decided that he was going to approach it in a different way. And rather than saying to people, who wants to get rich? Everybody with their hands up, come with me. He began interviewing people and, and soldiers saying, let me explain to you what we're going to go after. And let me show you how it's going to change your life. He was trying to show them how to be successful. He sold them on the vision in 600 Soldiers, 100 sailors, and 16 horses went with him on this journey. On the last leg of the trip, the men started to get fearful about actually facing the, the enemy. As they got to shore, they got everybody unloaded. Hernan Cortez gathered everybody around, and they thought he was going to give them the military strategy for defeating these people. I want you to flank them on this side, and I want this group of people to run that side and meet me at the coconut tree over here. And that's not what he said. He got his men together. He knew that they were afraid. He knew that they could be successful, but he had to do something that was significant. And he said to the people, burn the boats. Wait a minute. What do you mean by burn the boats? Like, see those boats out in the water? Set them on fire and burn them. Why? 
He told his men, if we're going to go home, we're going home in their boats. You see, Hernan Cortez was able to get the people to understand what success was, but it took a moment of significance of burning the boat that was going to make them significant to the world. God is calling us to do the same thing. Too many times we hold on to the boats that we are in. Maybe it is the boat of success at work. Maybe it is the boat of success of getting the things and doing the things that we've wanted to do. But I believe that there is a group of people that God is calling to do something significant for him. And significance causes us to burn the boats in our life. So I just have two questions for you as we end here. Where has fear stopped you from following God's promptings? You see, in my own life, I've found that one of my first responses to things is fear. What happens when, uh, if, if you have a teenage boy or if you were a teenage boy, you've had this conversation many times. Your mom or your dad or you as a mom or dad looked at your son and said, what were you thinking? And their response was, I wasn't thinking. Why weren't you thinking? I don't know. And as a young man, you just don't think about things. You just do them because it sounds like a whole lot of fun. We'll deal with the consequences later. It's like, let's not think about that right now. But as you get older, what you find is that when you have kids, you're like, hey, be careful. Give your kids the car keys. Hey, be careful. God calls you to step out of your success into the desert place. And we think, man, I better be careful. I've got retirement coming up. I've got a family I got to think about. God, I'm not going to step out into that desert place. God, I'm not going to step over that edge of that boat into the deep that you're calling me to. Because I'm just afraid that I might lose all of this. And I believe that God is calling people to step out of their success to do something significant for him. And then number two, what steps of courage can you take today to obey him? What steps do you need to take? As a young person, are you saying to yourself, when I get older, then I will follow God? When I get older, then I can make a significant impact. No, let me tell you right now that young people, you can make an impact today. You can make an impact in the world around you today. Mom and dad, what do you need to do to lead your family well, to show them we can step out into the unknown and God will be with us? If you look at Philip's life, God said, Philip, in chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you're going to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Philip went to Samaria. God said, Philip, I want you to go stand by the road. And Philip went and stood by the road. God said, Philip, I want you to go and I want you to run alongside that chariot. And Philip ran alongside that chariot. He kept saying, yes. To God, even though he didn't know where it was going to take him. Are you saying yes to God today? Are you allowing God to challenge your success 
to move you into significance. It may be that God is leading you to serve with this church. You come in and you see these guys that are standing in the parking lot and you're like, man, that smile and that wave every Sunday just encourages my heart. Maybe God wants that to be you. You see the people that greet you as you come in. You see the hosts at the doors of the auditorium and they encourage you and challenge you every week. And maybe that could be you. You're like, well, I just don't want to get out of my comfort zone. If you never get out of your comfort zone, you never make a significant impact in the life of people. What is God calling you to do today? Let's pray. Father, I am grateful that we have this testimony of Philip, that we see his willingness to say yes to you and step out into the unknown. Just be willing to stand in the desert place and wait for you to move. Lord, he did not know that you had been preparing a soul for him to minister to. But Father, as a servant, he knew that you had been preparing him to minister. So Father, I pray today that you will work in our hearts and our lives. As servants of you, Lord, I pray that you will work in us, that we would be ready to minister to the souls that you are preparing for us to minister to. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to evaluate our lives. Where are we allowing fear to hold us back from following you? I pray that this morning that we will burn those ships and we will wholeheartedly follow after you. We praise you and thank you for all that you do with us and through us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.